thought about it for one second, that the calendar in which we use has all been centered around one event, which is the resurrection of Jesus. This one singular event has changed how we view the calendar, right? It's the year 2022, two, or approximately 2022 years after the birth of Jesus. So this event, regardless of your worldview or background or even what part of the world you're from, all of us follow this calendar, but it's all rooted in one singular event, which every historian, every scholar would, would clearly say that this event literally changed the, the course of world history and has impacted every fabric of, of human society because of this one singular event. I'm kind of afraid, uh, actually, do not answer this out loud because I, I might get embarrassed, but have you, have you ever been in a situation where somebody has made a decision as a leader maybe in your workplace, for example, where someone has made a decision at work and you, you don't agree with the decision, but you have to still abide by that decision and you still have to act it out, even though you totally voted against it and you're not for it, right? I'm, I'm hesitant for you to raise your hand because it might be in the scenario of church in which I've asked you to do something which you totally disagree with, but you still have to do so. I'm not gonna ask you to, but we've all been in that situation where someone has asked you to do something, maybe imagine it in your work. Your boss, your manager has told you to do something and, and which you totally disagree with, but you're kind of pushed to a corner in which you have to do it, but you're not really motivated to even do it, right? And then you probably start thinking, man, if I was just a manager, if I just get promoted, I don't have to deal with this. I'd be doing such a better job than him or her. I wouldn't be talking that way. I wouldn't be like talking down to people. I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't be running this, this project like this if I was the one in charge. If I was the one making the shots, then I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be acting like him or like her, right? It's so easy for us to look and say, man, if I was him, if I was her, I wouldn't be doing this, I would be doing that. If I had the authority, we wouldn't be in this situation, right? Think about it. This is what makes a lot of us so interested in politics, right? Because we want to point and, and, at a politician and say, well, he's doing this and he's so biased and he's only doing that. And it's easy for us to point, but maybe when we're in their position, it's a different story. I mean, I hope that's not a political statement within itself, but you know what I mean. It's easy for us to look at someone or we hate being under someone who's telling us to do something in which we had no buy-in. It's not like our opinion was, it was valued or even part of this discussion and a decision was made and then we got to go along with it. Maybe you've experienced this as well, where you are under someone who is a micromanager and is kind of controlling every move you make and telling you what to do, and you just feel deflated. You just feel like a puppet of someone telling you what to do, and you just feel like, man, I'm not motivated to go to work. I'm not motivated to do this because my manager, my boss, my supervisor, just says, it, it just boss me around and just tell me to do things. I, never, I, I just feel deflated. I feel like this job is kind of like blah because like, I feel no one is there to kind of elevate me. I don't have any freedom. Like someone is just on top of me every single step, everything for this project, someone is on top of me. It's just annoying. I feel I'm not motivated to do anything. And maybe for a lot of us, maybe that motivates us to look for another job. I am sure many of us can relate to something along those lines, right? So what I want us to talk about is this, but relate it to an event which occurred after 33 AD, within the first few decades of the movement of Christianity. But then, it was given a code word of being followers of the way. We are looking at Acts chapter 6. Acts, the book of Acts, is a manuscript which Luke, who is a physician, highlights the, 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 the different struggles and, and hardships and even some highlights 
of the Christian movement in the first few decades of Christianity. So here he starts recording this in the sixth chapter. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples were multi was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So pause right here. Now we're seeing the church is growing, multiplying. The disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. So we're having different groups of, of, of Jesus followers. Maybe we're having different groups of Jewish uh, groups that are starting to kind of be interested in Jesus. They're starting to be interested in joining the church. But there arose a complaint because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Just to give you some cultural uh, background of what actually this means. Let's, let's figure out the issue we have in here. The church is growing. More people are leaning in toward figuring out who Jesus is. They're wanting to be part of the church. And, and what the church was doing is that they would gather resources from everyone who is all in the church, and they would collect this distribution and then pass it out to those who are in need. But there was an issue. There was a group of people who were kind of feeling neglected. No one is there to go above and beyond to help them, which is the what group? Good morning. The group would be? Uh, well, Hellenists or the widows. The, there's, a group, there's a group of people called the, the, the widows. They're being, so just so you understand, unfortunately, what the cultural context of this group of people, when you are a widow, you're kind of on your own. Like, because w w when you were a wife, your husband was the one supplying everything for you as a family. But if your husband passed away, you're kind of on your own. Like, you, your whole identity was connected to your husband. And, and you got everything you needed, all your resources, everything you needed came from your husband. So when your husband passed away, you're kind of all alone. So what are those, what are those widows do? They were, became very interested in joining the church because they realized the church was pushing this unconditional love and helping those who were underserved. So there was an issue. A complaint was arising because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the 12 summoned, the 12 disciples, they summoned the multitude of the disciples. So the 12, the 12 disciples gathered other people who were disciples, students of wanting to learn about Jesus and become leaders in the church. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. I'm a disciple. Imagine, I'm a disciple. And I see over there in that group, like where we're all gathering here as a church, right, where maybe we broke bread already, which is the liturgy. We've already liturgized. That's the word in, in the book of Acts. We've already had the liturgy. And, you know, we're making sure everyone's needs are met because this is a hospital for the holistic health, spiritual and financial, or even for any type of needs. But there's a group over there sitting in the back of widows. And then the disciples say, there's an issue over there, but it is not desirable that I should stop preaching and to help those people. Your initial, my initial response, if I hear something like that, I was like, oh, you're too good to help the widows? Is that why you're not, you don't want to help the widows because you're too good? You're too good to sit in your comfortable place and just preach and you just leave the neglected, you leave the underserved alone? So what's the mindset of the disciples for them to say, quote, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. We, we don't need to help the widows. It's not desirable for us to take the widows and take them to Kroger to get their medicine, to get their food. It's not desirable for us to go help the widows to see if they need any food. They need help someone carrying the groceries into their apartment. It's not desirable for us to leave us preaching and to go help that group. It's not desirable for us to do that. You and I, our initial response is like, it's kind of selfish. But what was the mindset of the early church leaders for them to say it is not desirable for us to help the widows. They understood their identity. 
your sense, for you, your sense of identity directs you in every situation. Your sense of identity directs you in every situation. If you know, if you go by what you, your identity, how you view yourself, you view your role, you view your resources. This is what sparks how you make life decisions. So the disciples, they understood their identity. They understood that they had been called to preach. They had been called in this very unique part of the kingdom of God. They had been called in this unique part of ministry. That they had been gifted to, to preach, to stand and to, to give the word of God. But they also understood everyone has a different role. They're not saying that I'm, they're better than anybody else. Maybe they had that issue when they were with Jesus. Actually, we know from the Gospels that many of the disciples were going to Jesus saying, hey, Jesus, like, who's the best? Right, right? There's 12 of us. Like, who's like number one, number two, who's number three? Who? Maybe they struggled with that in the beginning when they were still kind of leaning in toward Jesus. But now, after the resurrection, they, they had a clearer view of their identity. They understood that, their identity, that they had been given certain gifts. They're renting certain gifts. They've been entrusted with certain gifts. And they knew that they're giving it to something so much bigger than themselves. They understood that. Your sense of identity directs you in every situation. If your identity is directly connected to your career, then if things kind of fluctuate in your career, then you're going to be at a low point. You're more than the, than the highs and lows of your career. You're more than the highs and lows of your financial state. You're more than your past. But if you've, how you view your, your sense of identity directs you in every situation. There's an early church father, a desert father, actually. His name is St. Piman. In the year 400, he said this. If you want to find rest in this life and in the next, say at every moment, who am I? And judge no one. Let me read that again. If you want to find rest in this life and the next, say at every moment, who am I? And judge no one. Here's a desert father, away from the noise and busyness of the world. And he says, if you want to find total rest, just to be, just to be at ease and stuff, just go, go, go. If you want to find that, always ask at every moment, who am I? And we should ask ourselves that question. Know yourself. Who are you? What defines you? What is your identity? Your sense of identity directs you in every situation. The disciples understood their identity, that they knew their role, but they also knew that they needed to empower other people in order for the church to thrive. And I want to give just a little bit of, of leadership uh, nuggets here that we can apply to all of our lives just as we learn from the disciples here. Believing the lie that authority is a prerequisite for leadership, negatively affects your attitude and behavior. Let me explain, and then I'll read it again. We feel our natural reflex is, if I'm only in control, if I'm only in this situation, I'll do it. I promise you, I used to do that so many times as a deacon. Man, if I, if I was just the head servant, if I was just the head volunteer, if I was the service coordinator, if I was this, then I, I would be running things totally different around here. Right? We've all fallen into that trap because we think our natural reflex is authority means I'm able to lead better. We naturally feel authority means I'm able to lead others. Not necessarily. Let's read this again. Believing the lie that authority is a prerequisite for leadership negatively affects your attitude and behavior. Waiting for authority to lead slowly erodes at your leadership gifts. 
Waiting for authority is naturally going to erode you and disintegrate you to nothing because you're always awaiting more authority, more authority. The best leader in human history actually said the exact opposite of him being countercultural, him being a radical. What did Jesus say? If you want to be the greatest, you have to make sure that you are the least. So lead from the bottom. This is how you're able to influence and impact others. It's not what the, what the corporate world is telling you. You have to lead up from where you are. You might notice some people saying, well, I'm making the call because I'm the supervisor. I'm the manager. I'm the whatever. Whenever you start using that as a, as a weapon, saying, well, I'm this, and you use your title as a weapon, this is, this is how you'll fall apart as a leader. This is how you'll lose sight of your influence. It's not authority that will lead us. It's knowing your role now and how you can impact and influence people from where you are right now. Something is broken. When someone is saying, well, I'm this. This is why I'm making the shots. I'm the manager. I'm the supervisor. I'm the lead. I'm the point contact. When somebody has to use their title, this is when you notice the system as a whole is broken. Influence always outpaces authority. Influence always outpaces authority. Your influence and in which you're able to make from your role right now will always outpace your authority will always take you further and faster as opposed to the mindset, well, if I lead, once I get that promotion, once I get to this, then I'm able to make more of an impact. It's quite the opposite. Your influence will always outpace authority. Influence will always be the currency of leadership. Let's take a step back. This is how the disciples viewed leadership. They're not saying in a cocky way, well, it's not good for us to leave. You know, that's somebody else's problem for them to go drive them to Kroger to get their stuff. That's not, that's not, my, that's not my issue. I'm just going to sit here and comfortable and, and in the air condition and, and, and preach. No, they didn't view that. They understood their roles, but they also knew they needed to delegate and empower someone to be successful in that role. This is how they viewed leadership. And to be honest, it's not just how the disciples viewed leadership. This is how God wanted humanity to view leadership. Going back to the very first page of human history, how did God empower humanity for them to lead? But then God, so this is from Genesis. Then God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and micromanage it. He says to subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The word subdue, like, it's hard for us to, like, it's not a word that we kind of, we don't usually use that word in our, in, in our everyday language, subdue. Hey, subdue that. We don't talk like that, right? So what is it when we say subdue it? What does that mean? So if you want to look at the Hebrew, the word is kabosh. Repeat after me, kabosh. Kabosh. So this Hebrew word, if you look down the definition of kabosh, it means subdue. So cultivate and organize something in such a way that it thrives grows and flourishes again to subdue is to cultivate and organize something in such a way that it thrives grows and flourishes so so god is telling humanity i want you to subdue the earth not sit there and just dominate over everything no he's saying no subdue it that you need to empower you need to make sure that you're you're cultivating and organizing the fish the vegetation the world in such a way that it thrives, grows, and flourishes. This is how God, the Trinity, empowers humanity to lead. Not to be a micromanager, not to take advantage, no, but to kabosh, to subdue it, to cultivate, and to organize it, and for it to be able to thrive, grow, and flourish. 
Imagine, imagine in your leadership position right now, either at home, in relationships, in your workplaces, wherever it might be, because I promise you, you have a leadership role, which in other words, you have an influential role in some capacity. You have that. I promise you, you have, you're able to, there's someone that's looking at you for something. Imagine, if you looked at your role, not saying how can you take advantage of it, how can you move on to the next, there's nothing wrong with it. But what, imagine if, if our priority, of our framework was, how am I cultivating, how am I growing, how am I empowering someone else for them to grow? The deacons make fun of me all the time, because I always tell them, like, and they say, should we do this, or should I do that? And I always tell them, I don't know if any of our deacons are here, I tell them, I will follow your lead. I them, I'll follow your lead. Because I want to make sure that they, they do what they're, they're called to do, and, and I called what I'm supposed to do. Like someone gave me advice many years ago saying, do what only a priest can do. Like there's certain things only I could do, but there's certain things in which you're able to do. So I have to make sure that I empower you. This is how the church grows. Believe me, especially as an ex-deacon, I want to tell the deacons, no, I want you to do this because I have a high standard, right? My, my, my heart is, I, I'm a deacon at heart, right? So, so when I see the deacons doing certain things, like liturgically, I'm like, I need to bite my tongue. I need to empower them. I'll follow your lead. I'll follow your lead. I'll follow your lead. But I want it. But, but inside, I want to be like, no, just give, give me the symbols. I got it. I want to do that because that, that's my reflex. But I need to empower them because if I empower them, if I lead them in that way, then they're able to empower the next generation. This is totally off topic, not in my notes. To me, my dream, whenever God says enough is enough as far as priesthood and I, and I you know, my job here is done, I want to be able to look and say, the next generation has, is leading. I have empowered them to take the church further and faster for them to make more of an impact in our city. To me, then I'm able to be like, thank God. I have, been, I, I have led with what you have given me. The, to me, that's, I want to be able to retire. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that as a priest, but I, I, I want to be able to take a step back. Not, not retire like in the way you guys retire, but I want to take a step back. I, take, I, I can't. I, I know I'm only saying that I'm only in my 30s, but I'm saying this is my goal. This is how I know that I've done well as a priest, as a leader, that I can take a step back and I can see the next generation priests come and they tell me what to do. Hey, hey, Father Nate, do you mind helping? Sure. Like, I, I, I want to follow their lead. This is, that means I've, I've poured into them and they have led well. This is, I, I want to make sure that that goal is in front of me, not to be a micromanager because I, I can come and go tomorrow. If, if God says that's enough today, I want to make sure that I'm empowering the other leaders for them to keep on going. Going back to the book of Acts. Therefore, brethren, so, so this is the disciples. Now, how, let's see how they're going to lead. How are, they have an issue. There's an underserved community of widows. What are we going to do about it? Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Why? You need someone who has car and gas. Well, not back then, but go along with me. You need someone who can drive the widows for, they don't have drive. You get what I'm saying, okay? You need someone to take the widows for them to go, to, to go get their food and medicine and groceries and stuff like that. You need someone to help that. What, the prerequisite for someone to do that is someone who has air in their lungs, right? You don't need a genius to do this. But no, they say, no, the prerequisite for this job is someone who has the Holy Spirit and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. Why does somebody need to have wisdom and, and be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do such a, a and we would view it as, it's a rinky-dink thing, just to, you know, just to do that. You, sure, you want me to just watch some kids for the kids program? Sure, you just want me to fill up coffee uh, for the eight? We think, it, for, with all respect to everyone who does it, we might think it's nothing. You might think your service for, for the eight, you might think your service for the music team, you might think your service is whatever. It's something so small, it's like nothing. You might think it's whatever. But here, the disciples, the leaders are saying, no, the prerequisite 
for this important task in which the church to thrive, to make sure that we serve the underserved, is someone who has the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. We will do what we are called to do. You do what you are called to do. They are empowering others for them to go further and, and, further and faster with the resources in which they have been entrusted with. This is the church. Imagine if your company worked like that. Imagine those whom you influence, you lead. Imagine if this is how we worked. What, what is one thing I can do and how can I pour into someone else for them to do what they are called to do? And the saying, and the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. So now they're appointing seven. They need seven leaders. They need seven deacons. By the way, the word deacon just means servant. Diakon, the Greek word, just means servant. Someone who's going to serve. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, not, not Timon and Pumbaa, but Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. They chose man, the two prerequisites, Holy Spirit and of wisdom, to appoint for this task, for them to own this aspect of ministry for them to own this department of serving the underserved, serving the widows, empowered them. And these seven men, the, 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 the disciples, after they, they were, while they were breaking bread, they would come and the disciples would lay hands on them. This is in the first few decades of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Here we are 2,000 years later. If you want a word picture of this verse, it would be this. Here is uh, Father Elisha, uh, uh, who serves here in St. Mary. He's he, laying of hands. Here is the succession of the apostles in a literal, tangible way. Here's his grace, Bishop Yusuf, part of that succession, laying hands on empowering the, the, empowering the next generation, empowering another leader. And here is the same thing in the Eastern Orthodox Church. I'm just showing two expressions. It's the same truth. It's the same reality. But the expression of it might be different. But the theology, the fullness of the church is the same. But just showing, I want to show two expressions of the same reality. This is the beauty of the first century church. It's not you just, like, yes, you need to feel a conviction within you to say, yeah, you know what? I have, a, my, my heart breaks for this aspect of church. I feel like God has given me these gifts. I want to be able to pour this out into someone else. Yes, you should have that personal calling. But imagine, imagine as a church, as a spiritual hospital, you would raise your hand and say, hey, Father Nate, I feel this conviction to do this. Then I say, hey, let's brainstorm. Let's talk this out. Let's grab some coffee. And let's say, how, how can we respond to this itch within you? How can we respond to what breaks your heart? This is, I love the million dollar question. What breaks your heart? I love asking people, what breaks your heart? The thing that breaks your heart is not just whatever. There's a story connected to that. And you are called to respond to what breaks your heart. Like, sorry, Marina, just because you're in the front. Like, what breaks Marina's heart? Is Marina wants to make sure that worship is transformational. It's not just like us coming to sing a couple songs and that's it. Like, this is how she resonates with God. This is what connects with her. She wants to make sure that we're not only connecting with God musically in Eastern scale music, but we're also connecting in, in a different category or different scale of music. So we need to have this diversity. Imagine, imagine where we would go Imagine what the impact we're able to have in our city. This whole mission trip that we had this week, I promise you, this was not my idea. I just signed up like anybody else. Somebody said, you know what? 
We live next to Clarkston, Georgia, which is making national news for the amount of refugees that exist in this really rinky-dink city. We need to partner with other organizations and just ask them, how can we help them? I said, let's do it. And we just put a date on the calendar. We told our high schoolers and some volunteers were also convicted of it, and we did it. And many of you were convicted as well. That's why you were able to donate so much for us to be able to empower them. This is the church. This is how leadership is intended to be, not just at a church level, but also in every aspect. Why? Because we are called to the Hebrew word is to kabosh, to subdue, to cultivate, to grow and empower others. Get this. Do not read this quickly. They laid hands, apostles laid hands on the seven deacons. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Pause and read that. Widows have no one to help them with food and uh, help them with groceries and their medication. We need to find some uh, leaders, some servants, some deacons to help with this. They're appointed, they're ordained, the laid hands on them to empower them. Because seven deacons helped some old women with their needs, all of a sudden, the word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. What's the correlation? Like, it, what's the connection? Like logically, if someone's helping to go to take a lady to Kroger to get her groceries, all of a sudden, can we say the same? The word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly. Logically, it's not one-to-one. Like, how, like, how can the word of God spread all of a sudden because now women have some food, the widows have some food in their, in, their, in their fridge? What's the connection? This is beyond our logic for us to understand. This is how we work synergistically with the Holy Spirit. Those who serve in our hospitality team, those who serve in our kids' program, those who serve to do leisure groups and camping trips and you name it, to us, it seems like whatever. I mean, we might seem like, yeah, you know, something nice we should put. Who are we to say that the word of God will not grow and multiply from that seed that you plant? Who are you to say that if someone's saying, you know what, let me give this whole church thing a shot, and they walk down here, and someone is there to greet them, and they just want to come and hold on to a cup of coffee, because you know what you and I love to do? Not love, but when we walk into a new place, you and I, when we walk into a new place, we don't just be like, we don't just go like this. We need to hold on to something. Psychologically, when you hold on to something in a new place, you feel a little bit more secure, right? You feel like you, you, you connect. So this is, honestly, I'm kind of exposing our secrets, but this is why we make a big deal about coffee and snacks. Not just because you're hungry, but it, it helps you connect when I'm holding on to something and I'm able to, to build relationships and, 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 and have a conversation with someone. Who are we to say that, uh, that alone, that item alone, will not impact in building a relationship with someone and for them to say, if they exchange numbers and that person to come the following Sunday? Who are we to say? Who are we to say? This is not just an organization, the church. This is an organism, the living, dynamic, timeless body of the son of the living God. Who are we to say? And Stephen full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Taking lady XYZ to help her with her food. Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. You and I, great signs and wonders. We start thinking, but we have this visual. Who are we to say? One soul to say, let me give this whole church thing another shot. Are we, is our systems in place? Is our process in place? That family that says, you know what? We haven't, been to we haven't been to church a long time because of COVID and stuff like that. And we just keep on coming with lame excuses. Enough is enough. Let's just go this Sunday. 
I keep on taking Father Nate's emails and I just report to spam. But you know what? Let me, let me just let me check out the address. Let me just go. Let's just go check it out. Are we ready? Are we ready as a church to do great signs and wonders? Do not underestimate what the giver of life can do in you and through you. Do not underestimate. From the apostles' perspective of them leading, being the point contact, for us, how we can relate. Are we esteeming and building others? Are we building others around us? Or are we micromanaging? How are we empowering others? Are we saying, is our language more like, hey, I, I, want, I would love to hear your thoughts. Are we, are, we, are we allowing them to speak, for them to share their thoughts? Are we creating that space for them to speak up and then we'll be able to work together? Or, or do we say, hey, what do you think? Well, I think this, and then, we, and then all of a sudden before, we ask the question, we answer before they do. Of course, I'm not going to feel encouraged to, to, to share my opinion about something if the manager says, hey, what do you think, Father Nate? And then, I, and, then I, and then they speak before I do. I'm not encouraged. I'm not empowered. How are we as leaders, how, if we take the perspective of the apostles, how are we esteeming and building others from our leadership perspective? Deacons. If we take the perspective from the deacons, how are we leveraging our influence and position where we are right now? The, the deacons, maybe they struggled with it. I'm sure they did because they're human. Man, if I was just an apostle, man, if I was just preaching, I would be preaching totally different and a lot shorter, right? I'm sure they were thinking that. I'm sure they were thinking that. But, but they said, okay, that's their role. What's my role? How am I leveraging my influence from where I am called to right now to make an impact. Let me do for one what wish I could do for many. Let me impact this one widow and let God, let the Holy Spirit take care of the rest. How are we leveraging our influence in the position we are now? Let us leverage influence. Even though we might lack authority, let us leverage our influence to empower those around us. Why? This is how corporations, companies, churches thrive and this is how God divinely designed us as his children to lead this world let us stand for a prayer in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit one God amen Lord, we live in a world in which we are power hungry, wanting that next promotion, that next level of authority. But Lord, we pray we never lose sight that you have put us where we are right now in ministry and career-wise, maybe in our group, of, in our circle of friends or family, we are placed to be an influence to those around us regardless of any other circumstance. Lord, I pray that we have a priority of knowing and, and leveraging our position right now to lead. This is not only how you empower the apostles and the deacons of the first century church. This is what you have called us as your children to do in every capacity. Lord, we pray that we never lose sight for us to be able to serve and love in the way you did, in this unconditional way and for us to leverage what we have been entrusted with and to pour that into others, to esteem others and to encourage others. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the giver of life, empowers us to that reality 
and for us not to get lost in micromanaging or through the technical things, but to build those relationships and empower those around us. This is what you have called your church to be. Lord, I pray for every volunteer in our church who gives of themselves week in and week out, maybe in a service in which no one is able to see. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit works within them in every aspect of the church, from our kids' program to, to things outside, from, from the, the app and the website, and just the list goes on and on, Lord. I pray that you reward them, that your Holy Spirit works within them, just as San Stephen did amazing signs and wonders through his service, Lord, we know that you are doing the same within your church. Through the prayers of St. Stephen and all the deacons and the apostles, Lord, hear us as we all pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll continue this series next week. And if you haven't already, make sure you ask somebody, what is the hottest place you've ever been besides church today?